Good morning, church. Fourth Sunday of Advent. Um, why, why are manger scenes so weird? Is somebody else, maybe I'm weird? Is there anyone else find that to be a bit weird, a bit odd? So there's Mary, calm, fresh, full of reflection. Have you been in a delivery room? I have three times. There's a lot of shouting. Sorry, Jenny. There is sweat. There's blood. Sometimes there are tears. And then there's, of course, Joseph. And from all accounts, Joseph is probably a little more than a teenager because Mary's probably no older than as we know, a young teenage girl herself. And he's also looking sort of calm. And if you read the gospel accounts, he's just been told that he's going to become father to the son of God. And then, of course, there's baby Jesus. (laughs) His hair is perfectly coiffed and, you know, he's... See, this, this never resonated with me. Because even though I couldn't quite put my finger on it, there was a part of me that said, why doesn't that resonate with me? And then I realized as I've gotten older that the reason why it doesn't resonate with me is because we've sanitized the Christmas story. We've sort of romanticized the Christmas story. See, we've basically eliminated all the messy parts, the hard parts, the it's so painful that I want to cry and shout out light parts. You know, the real parts. And, and what I'm realizing as I've gotten older is this, is that my life and the people that I care about, the people who are on earth and living this life, The good news and the hope that we need is not some romanticized, sanitized version of Christmas that everything's cool. It's a story that says, is there something in there for me when it's hard, when it's difficult, when it's messy? Is anybody with me this morning? See, it's interesting that when you read the Gospels, For example, Matthew, do you realize that he opens the birth narrative of Jesus by telling us about Herod and his order to murder innocent infants? The world in which Jesus is born maybe is not unlike today. It's a world of Herods. It's a world of injustice, oppression, suffering, hardship. You know, the real world. Now, Jesus actually said something to me that's incredibly powerful. It's hard at first, but it's incredibly powerful. In John 16, this is what he says. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Because in this world, 
To be clear, when Jesus is this world, he's comparing the world that is to come, the kingdom of God that he is about to usher in, a world of peace and justice and righteousness, a world without evil and justice. That world, he's comparing that world to come with the present broken down, fallen apart, corrupted by sin, chaotic world. He says, in this world, hello somebody, you will have trouble. Now, I'm just curious, does that, does that, does that sound like good news to some of you? It should, do you know why? Because even though there's this junk theology out there that says that if you're a Christian, you follow Jesus, that you ought to be exempt from hardship, suffering, and hard things, Jesus says, following me doesn't exempt you from suffering, hardship. The freedom that Jesus secured for us is not freedom from pain and hardship, it's freedom in pain and hardship. It's freedom from what, Peter? Freedom from self-pity, freedom from bitterness, freedom from resentment, freedom from... And Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but there is a way that you could be free from pity and resentment and bitterness and anger. And what is that? Do you, see, do you hear what he says? He says, in me you may have peace. And he's not talking about attending church once in a while. He's not talking about, you know, I part of a life group. He's talking to me. When your reality is immersed in my reality, when you have a vital living relationship with me, he says the promises in the midst of all that hard stuff, you may have. And the word have in Greek has a sense of take ownership of. You may have peace. And the promise of Jesus is that in the midst of all that hard stuff, you can experience peace that surpasses all understanding. The promise is that in me, you could have peace that doesn't deny reality, but defies it. Because you could overcome. I'm, is that good news to anybody? Yeah. And Jesus is saying to you and me, you're going to need that. You're going to need that because you will have trouble. Not trouble like you lost your keys and you can't find it kind of trouble. Not trouble like you lost your wallet and you can't find, you're talking about, he's talking about trouble like, like not, not like it's hard now, but tomorrow morning it's gonna get better. He's talking about the kind of trouble that comes that almost threatens to knock you from following him. I mean, let me just share with you the kind of trouble that I had to pastor folks through this year, the kind of trouble that a young couple faces who wait for months and sometimes years to have a baby and the wife finally gets pregnant and they rejoice and then they have a miscarriage. See, that's the kind of trouble that's not like things are hard now but tomorrow. That's the kind of trouble that says, God, are you there? The kind of trouble that, that a student in our church has where the parents go through a major financial disaster and they can't pay his tuition anymore so he has to drop out of school kind of trouble. The kind of trouble that comes when a cancer diagnosis comes out of the blue. The kind of trouble that comes when you've worked for a company for 20 years and without any notice, the company says, sorry, we got to let you go. The kind of trouble that comes when you lose someone that you love. And Jesus says, that kind of trouble is coming. In this world, it's coming. But in me, you can have peace. And you go, how can we be sure? 
He says what? Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Is that good news? He says you could take heart. Why? Because here's what I'm about to do. I'm about to usher in a world once and for all to defeat Satan, sin, and death. A world without disease, evil, just injustice, suffering, and hardship. A world like that is coming so that in me you can have and experience peace. See, the good news of Christmas, church, and I've been saying this for three weeks, it's not some escape from a world of hardship and suffering. The good news is that we have a God who chose to enter this world, a real world, with pain and suffering to overcome it and to usher it in his kingdom. Is that good news? So there's good news, yes. For sinners to be reconciled to Jesus. And we praise him for that. But it is also good news. I want to remind you. It is good news for the thousands of refugees fleeing Syria. It is good news for the thousands of families being torn apart at the border. It is good news for the millions in that country without health care. It is good news for the single mom who's wondering, can I put food on the table? It is good news because we have a Savior who came to bring salvation with skin on it. You could clap to that. That is amazing news. And yes, is there something for me? Yes. That is this. If Jesus was willing to come into this world, the mess that is this world, he is willing to come into the mess that is our lives. I don't know who I'm talking to. But you, your life might have gotten real messy this year. But I have good news to you. And you know what the good news is? Regardless how messy your life has become, it's never too late for a miracle. That's the incarnation. Is it's doing, I don't... There's never too late for your marriage to be restored. It is never too late for your health and your mind to be restored. It is never too late for the things that have been said about you and the guilt and shame you carry. It's never too late for God to do something to heal and restore you. It's never too late for God to fulfill the good promises he has for you. God's purpose for you is always greater than your problems. Come on, somebody. It is good news. There is infallible hope for you and me because God has landed and he's coming again. Man. The question as we, as we sort of round out the season of Advent is this, and I just want to put this out there. There is good news because there is hope that his restoration will come someday, but what about today? Is there good news for today for those of you that are going through some hard, diff maybe it's just me? The reason why I wanted to preach this is because it's been a hard year for a lot of people. It has. And by the way, if this was an amazing year full of joy and rejoicing, praise God for that because that's God's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Amen? Amen. God says there is hope. For today, where is that hope found? First Peter and Second Peter are letters written to a group of Christians who are enduring enormous hardship and suffering. And in this letter, by the way, if you're struggling, I want to encourage you to read those two letters because it's written to real Christians in the first century going through enormous things. There is news of living hope. So if you open your Bibles with me to First Peter chapter 3. Uh, chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 3. 
Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spill or spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, in this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter is writing to a group of Christians for a century who are enduring enormous hardship and suffering and will be enduring some more. And he says, you have been born again. You have been saved into a living hope. A living hope is a power, a dynamism that gets you through trouble in life. Do you notice what he says is that living hope? He says what? It's the resurrection, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You go, well, why is that good news? Because Jesus says the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a foretaste and the first fruits of what he will ultimately do when he comes back someday, and that is to restore, renew, reconcile everything. Revelation 21, 22. Down comes heaven to earth to renew, heal, and restore everything. Somebody go, how do you know Jesus physically resurrected from the dead? Is this good news? Do you know who uh, doesn't yawn during season of Advent? There are a lot of Christians all over the world from season of Advent, it's palpable, it's tangible. There are people all over the world for whom season of Advent, this waiting hope that someday he's going to come and make everything right. That news is not, well, I'll tell you who. It's the person in our church who lost someone they love to cancer. Do you know why season of Advent is meaningful? Because Hope of the resurrection says that someday they're going to see their loved one cancer-free in resurrected bodies. And you will hug them, you will kiss them, you will dance with them. Do you know who season of Advent is meaningful to? It's someone who's experienced injustice. Why? Because God says someday I'm going to come with perfect justice and make everything right. So no evil, no injustice, no wickedness will just be ignored. That he's going to come and make things right. Do you know who this is good news to? It's to somebody who experienced hunger this year and nakedness without shelter. Because in the resurrection, someday Jesus says there will be no more hunger or thirst. And you'll be filled. Do you know who this is good news to? It's that person in our church who's struggled with debilitating physical illness. And they're wondering, what about me? And the Bible says, someday when he comes, there will be no more disease, no more debilitating illness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joni Erickson Tata. Every two, three years, I talk about her. So I'm a little older than some of you guys, so I remember her in her ministry, still alive. She became a quadriplegic when she was 17 in a diving accident. And she spent her entire life devoted to ministering to people who are suffering or in pain. And she said something that I've held on to, and I've quoted this at some Easter's, right? 
This is what she says. This is a woman for whom the hope of the resurrection, Advent isn't, ah, but it's, yes, Lord, come. When I get to the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I'm going to be able to do on my resurrected legs is to drop down on grateful, glorified knees and kneel quietly before the feet of Jesus. And then I'm going to get on my feet and I'm going to dance. Can you imagine the hope that the resurrection gives someone whose spinal cord was injured like me? Come, Lord Jesus. Can you imagine the hope This gives someone who struggles with manic depression. See, no religion or philosophy other than biblical faith promises us new bodies and not just renewed minds and hearts. Only in the gospel of Christ do people find such hope in hurting people like me and live. Sorry for getting emotional. See, if you can't kneel or dance, the good news of Advent says that in the resurrection, you will dance, child of God. If you're lonely, the good news of the resurrection is that when he comes, you will know love perfectly. The good news of the resurrection is if you've cried in the resurrection, he will wipe every tear from your eyes. The hope of the resurrection. And if you know that this body, this life, is not the only body and life you will ever have, do you know how much more courageous you would be? Do you know how much more sacrificial and radical you would be? It's amazing. There's another group of people, though, for whom Advent means something, who long for this future restoration. Do you know who that is? There are people, listen, who are involved in other people's suffering pain. We talk about this in our church a lot, is that if you're actually involved in hurting people, what affects them affects what? You. And we always say, if you consider yourself an ally of someone and you say you're standing next to them, if some of what's hitting them is not hitting you, you might not be standing close enough. See, if you're involved, you're invested. And the season of Advent means something as you look for the return of the king. I love what Philip Yancey said. If you're sitting there going, is that me? He says... Do you say you care about the poor? Then tell me, what are their names? And I translate that and I go, so you say you care about suffering in other people, that you're a follower of Jesus who lives the incarnation of hurting people, then tell me, what are their names? 
see if the future hope of the resurrection is real to you, you and I would get involved. Because we realize what we do on earth matters. Can I get an amen? Someone said that the only thing needed for the triumph of evil is that good people do nothing. Do not let evil triumph. Get involved. Is this living hope real to you, church? Is, I wonder, is anybody sitting here today and saying, I can't wait, Peter, for the return of Jesus? Come, Lord. And Apostle Peter says, that living hope becomes our hope. Then he says in verse 7, these have come. What are these? He's talking about suffering, grief, and trials of all kinds that he explained in the verses before. These have come so that, this is so powerful, so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Can I just say something? Not wanting to suffer is human. But thinking that we don't deserve to is unchristian. Peter says that suffering, trial, and hardships will come. And then he says, they will often be used to refine our faith. Like fire refines, furnace refines a metal so that it becomes authentic, durable, strong. Now I know we're American Christians. So what I'm about to say is not going to be popular, but I need to say it in order for us to understand living hope. And that is this. Here's what I learned about faith. You ready? We could enjoy God in the mountaintops, but we get to know him intimately in the valleys. Ask yourself when your faith really grew. Is it when we're in the mountaintop experience when everything is going well? Or is it in the valleys when there's struggle, when there's hardship? Because in the valleys we learn the most important truth that we know, and we say this all in our church, is that you don't know that Jesus is all that you need until Jesus is all that you have. It's the valleys that you come to realize, I'm not waiting for God's answers, I'm not waiting for God's rewards, I'm not waiting for God's things, I'm simply waiting for God, are you there yet? Am I there yet? The other thing that I'm realizing about faith is this, is that whatever storms I'm going through, it's always so that at some point I could help someone else going through the same storms. You and I need to know that that's always in the equation, is that whatever it is that we're going through, some time down the line, God says, I'm going to use that. Our trials in many ways become our platforms. It's never just about us. It's for God's kingdom to be done on earth. It's for God's kingdom and reign to come into this broken world. So as you look back on this year, I say we have a choice. As we look at the difficult things we've gone through, we could either become bitter or we can become better. 
And the challenge becomes, is my perspective going to be, why, God? Or is my perspective going to be in this? You're going to do something in me, and you're going to do something through me. So I want to just encourage you, friend. If your experience this year has not been the mountaintop experience, but in the valleys, God is with you. God is for you. God is doing something. Can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Peter I think when he wrote these words, he had an actual event in mind. He is a good Jewish man who is familiar with the Old Testament. When he talks about fire and furnace, he had a story that actually happened in mind. Do you know what that story is? Do you remember? Here is 600 BC. The nation of Israel has been exiled to the kingdom of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar reigns as king. He has taken exiles, and he has given an edict to all the kingdoms of the world that they were bowed down to a statue that's erected in a point of time, and anyone who does not bow down to that statue is going to be thrown into the, do you remember? Fire. And there are three young men, friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who have been told, if you do not do this, you'll be thrown to the fire. And they say, we're not going to do it. And so where we find the story is King says, I'm going to give you one more chance. Let me pick up the story. Daniel 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, and the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Verse 18. But even if he does not, Even if he does not, we want you to know, a king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of consequences. Church, faith is not, biblical faith is not, God, if I just have enough faith, things are going to go really well. God, if I just have enough faith, things are going to be uh, work out as I planned. If I just have enough faith, my life will be devoid of hardship, suffering, and trials. That's called having faith in your faith. There's an enormous difference between having faith in God and having faith in your agenda for God. It's the difference between worshiping the God we want and worshiping the God who is. Do you know what biblical faith is? I want to remind you that this biblical faith is God, even if things don't work out like I planned. Even if my plans don't work out the way they did, even if there's hardship, trials, and suffering that come my way, I will still serve you. I will still love you. I will still worship you. I will still follow you. Why? Because you're still good. You're still faithful. You're still merciful. You're still compassionate. You're still kind. Do not let what's wrong with you stop you from worshiping what's right with God. And our God is faithful, he is good, he is merciful. Can I get an amen? amen. Biblical faith, my friends, is these young men who were spiritually fireproofed, as I like to say, before they were physically fireproofed. Do you know why they're spiritually fireproofed? Because the posture of their heart is, Lord, have your way.
Lord, whether my wife and I have a baby this year or not, have your way. Lord, whether I get the job that I've been praying for or not, Lord, have your way. Lord, whether my engagement works out or not, Lord, have your way. Lord, whether those doors open for me or not, Lord, have your way. Lord, whether our family is healthy this year or our family goes through some physical stuff, Lord, have your way. You can, you will, but if not, have your way. Have your way. Do you know how strong you and I would be if we entered this upcoming year with a posture that says, Lord, whether I go through suffering or you deliver me from it, have your way. Are you there yet? Am I there yet? Living hope. Look at, and then look how this story turns out. And it's not what you think. Verse 23, these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked advisors, hey, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. The word gods in Hebrew is literally the word Elohim. One of the words and names for God, even in the midst of all this fire and smoke, the being that's in the fire with the young men were so powerful and of such glory that they couldn't help but looking at him and recognize him as some supernatural being. Who is this fourth character in the fire? Church, say with me. It's who? It's Jesus. It's the second person of the Trinity, the pre-incarnate God. And I know some of us are like, see, that's what happens, right? When God comes, he will, what does God do? God doesn't deliver them from the fire. What does he do? He walks with them in the fire. Let me say that again. Why doesn't God deliver me from? Because the promise of God is that when you go through the fire, the promise is not, I will rescue you. The promise is, I will walk with you. There is no passage in the Bible, Genesis, Revelation, that promises that when you and I go through fire, that God will rescue us. But there is every passage in Scripture we could point to that says, when you walk through the fire, I will what? Be with you. Isaiah 43.1, fear not for I have redeemed you. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Do you remember a time when they were able to walk on dry land with waters? The answer, yes, the Red Sea. Was God with them? Yes. Is God still God? Yes. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Is there a time in their history when they walked on dry ground through a river? The answer is yes. When they're about to get to the promised land and the Jordan River parts so that the people of God can march through. Was God still God? Yes. 
And verse 3, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God. The promise is you will be able to sense my presence, my loving and powerful presence with you. It's such that you will be as if I am walking with you through it. Is this good news? Church, don't let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. When you and I go through hard, difficult things, the promise is not God's going to make everything okay. The promise is I will be what? Say with me, with you. And if you know and sense my presence with you, you will not be consumed. The trial will not make you hard The trial will not consume you. The trial will not make you bitter. The trial will refine you to become more like me. I know this is hard. Let me tell you why this is so powerful for me. When I was beginning my ministry as a young 23-year-old kid, I believe that if I just preach amazing sermons, God's going to do amazing things. So I spent a ton of time preparing sermon after sermon, commentate, you know, uh, reading commentators and all these things. And then I had an older pastor, thank God for older pastor friends, who one time said, and you've heard this phrase before, it's nothing new. He says, Peter, people will not care what you know until they know that you care. He says, unless you are in their homes, people will not care what you say from the pulpit. Now, he may have been exaggerating a little bit, but as a young man, the thing that was really impressed upon me as I grew older and did ministry is this. When somebody's really hurting, I realized information will not heal a wounded heart. Information will not heal. Listen, for those of us that love to give answers, and I am one of them, it took me, like I'm almost 50, all of these years to realize that when people are struggling, what they need is not, here's why, what they need is a who. The most powerful thing that hurting people need, I think it's a human being thing, is to be seen and to be heard. When somebody's actually going through stuff, listen. When somebody's actually going through stuff, what they need is someone to say, I see you, I hear you, and I'm just going to sit here with you. When you cry, I'm going to cry. Peter, Okay, so I could kind of come around the fact that God is with me, but does he really know what I'm going through? Can he really relate? The answer is Christmas. The word became what? Do you know how far this creator God was willing to go? For him to go, not only am I with you, I understand. 
We have a Savior who is born in a manger, who experiences poverty. He, their family is so poor, when Jesus is born, his parents offer two pigeons as a sacrifice in the temple, which was the sacrifice for the poorest of the poor. Jesus, who experiences hunger, homelessness. Jesus, who experiences, at the moment of his greatest need, betrayal and abandonment by the closest friends. Jesus, who in his last week experiences injustice via a sham court. Jesus, who knows what it's like to go through the dark night of the soul. Anybody gone through dark night of the soul? But ultimately, the moment that we see Jesus saying, I know what you're going through, is when he willingly walks into the fiery furnace of God's judgment and wrath for our sin, for our evil, for our injustice, so that someday he'll come back and rid this world of evil, injustice, and suffering without getting rid of us. Because he loves us that much and he hates suffering that much. When somebody goes, does God exist? I just go, does it matter? What do I mean? Because if God does exist and he doesn't care, does all this matter? But we don't have a God who is immune to our suffering and to the fire. We have a God who says, I've been through all of it, so we don't know why this side of heaven, God allows these things to happen. We don't know this side of heaven, why God allows these things to happen, but we know the answer isn't. The answer isn't that he doesn't care. Look. I was talking to someone in our church who's been through a horrendous year, and this person said something to me that kind of, Stop me dead in my tracks. He said, you know, Peter, for the longest time in my Christian life, I always thought like this. I always thought, you know, I'm really suffering, but God. And he said, I look at it differently now. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, when I used to say, like, I'm really suffering, but God, there was kind of this, you know, there's kind of this, 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 this part of me that said, I'm suffering, but this isn't, this isn't normal. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with my faith. Something must not be right. But, you know, God is with me. He said, no, I think what's more accurate is I am suffering and God. Peter, Jesus said that in this world, I'm going to have trouble. And it's not because there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with God. It's not because of any of those things. He said, I will have trouble. But in this world, I can have peace. And someday he's going to come and restore everything. So really, I think what I need to remind myself is I'm suffering and God is with me. And God is for me. And God loves me. That's my hope. If I stopped here, you guys would walk out of here going, that's pretty good. God's with me. And, but this is my last sermon of 2019. So I'm going to, I'm going to do this like in, in an accentuated way. You need the gospel to remind you. Can I get an amen? 
So you need to be reminded that you can't just walk out and go, boy, that was an intellect. That was really, you need to remember what is the motivation, the engine, and the power that gives you this. And here's the question. The question for you and I is this. What was it that enabled Jesus to endure the cross? What was it that enabled Jesus, listen please, I'm almost done, endure the fiery furnace of God's judgment for sin? What was it that Jesus was able to, what was it? Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, and for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Do you know what that means? Let me look at you. That means that Jesus had a living hope that caused him to endure. Jesus too, just like you and me. Well, he could endure the cross, the fiery furnace, because he's God. Yes, but he was also fully man. And Jesus needed a living hope, a living hope that said, I can endure this. For that, I can't endure. What was his living hope? Do you know what his living hope was? Let me show you. Isaiah 53, that beautiful passage in the Old Testament that talks about how Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. In verse 11, that beautiful messianic, listen to what it says. He will see the result of the suffering of his soul and be satisfied. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. What was the living hope that Jesus enabled Jesus to endure the cross? It was seeing the result of his suffering. What was the result of his suffering? He will justify many, declare righteous, holy, innocent many. And Paul says in Romans 5, therefore we have been justified through Christ do you know what his living hope was you me what endured what enabled him to endure that cross the fiery furnace Our sins put him there, but his love kept him there. Simply put, the cross of Christ was worth it. You and I were his living hope. Sit with that for a second. He looks at us and says, I will come down from heaven to earth, take on flesh and bone and endure ultimate suffering for what? To justify you, justify me, beautified, righteous, holy, blameless, perfected, you and me resurrected in his arms. That is what enabled him to endure the cross. Is that good news to anybody? I'm going to remind you every single Sunday because without this, none of this matters. The reason why you and I struggle, not just when we're suffering, but in our daily lives is we don't believe how much we are loved by our Savior. We do not believe how precious, how valuable, how worthy we are because of who he is and what he has done. We don't believe it. We know it here. It's not here. To believe that we are his living hope. The one thing he didn't have in heaven that he came to earth for. When that truth explodes in our minds and in our hearts. Whenever we go through suffering and trial on earth. We will be able to say, Lord, I'm not bailing on you. 
you didn't bail on me. Why would I bail on you? When we go through the small earthly fiery furnaces, we are able to say, Lord, have your way. Why would I trust the one who gave his everything? I'm really going to be stressed out because my two-year plan didn't work out. I'm really going to be stressed out. Have your way. You gave your all. What could you possibly keep from me? You and I. Oh, let me end with this. You see, come on up. See, I'm just like you. I'm going to be honest. As much as I preach on this with passion, I don't want to walk through the fiery furnace. Anybody with me? I'm saying, God, don't send them in the first place. And when they do, I'm like, God, get me out of here. But the promise of God is not, I will rescue you from. The promise of God is what? I will walk with you in the midst of it. So if this is your story, this is what it would sound like. A young couple waited months and years to have a child. And finally, wife gets pregnant. But she has a miscarriage. And God was with you. You hear the news that your parents went through a financial crisis and they can't support you through college so you have to drop out and get a full-time job. And God was with you. Your fiance of six years breaks off the engagement without any reasons and you are thrown into a world of chaos and confusion. Say with me, church. And God was with you. You hear out of the left field news that your loved one is diagnosed with cancer. And God was with you. And when God decided to finally send his son, of all the names they could have chosen to name him, Matthew 1 says, and he will be called, say it with me, church, Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Is anybody sitting here today need to be reminded, man, more than reminded, just palpably know that God is with you? Anybody today? Anybody? Will you stand? Will you stand? If that's you, not every, if, if you are here today and you're saying, God, I need to be reminded of this truth. If you've been through some stuff, you're going through some stuff. If you are in a place where you're saying, God, I need to know, please stand. Please stand because we want to pray with you and for you. Please stand from where you are. Anybody? Anybody? I'm going to wait. Anybody? Wow. Y'all are doing amazing. I'm going to ask again. Please be willing to be vulnerable. Is there anybody here today as you sit here in light of what has happened, what you are going through, anybody here right now saying, I need to know, Peter, that God is with me. I need Emmanuel to become real to me. Anybody? Anybody? Come on, come on, come on, come on. 
I'm gonna give you a few more seconds, and then and then I'm gonna pray with and for you. Is there anybody? Is there anybody? Please, 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 please. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Come on. Is there anybody else this morning who needs this truth to become real? Emmanuel, God, with anybody? In a moment before we all stand, I'd like to ask those of you that are standing or sitting near the pews of these courageous men and women who have stood, will you stand around them? Just lay your hands on them. We're going to be the church this morning. We're going to be the body of Christ. Those of you that are around them, just, yeah, yeah. And before we pray, I'm going to ask one last time. Is there anybody else here today who needs this truth to become real? Please stand so that your family, your church family can bless you and pray with you. As you have your hands on your brothers and your sisters, I'm going to declare the promises once more of Isaiah 43, and then I'm going to pray, fear not, for I have redeemed you. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I am with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you blaze. Child of God, hear this promise. For I am the Lord, your God. So, Father, we, and now, want to be the hands, the tangible hands and feet of Christ. We want our brothers and sisters to know and to be assured that the hands that are touching them are an extension of your hands, for we are the body of Christ. So we pray this morning for a miracle we do, and that is that in the midst of the furnace, in the midst of the fire, that they will sense your presence. They will know of your loving, powerful presence with them. They will sense Emmanuel, God, with us, walking with them. We pray, whatever it is that they're going through, even though we don't know, you do. You know the intimate details of it, and you love, you love your sons and you love your daughters. So we pray and ask God, use our hands, use our prayers, Lord, that they will sense the depth of your love for for the joy set before 
him he endure the cross. May the delight that you have and the love that you have become real and powerful. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen.